Well, good morning and happy new year. It's hard to believe it's January 1. You know, we're starting right off in church. We were here on Christmas Day. Now we're here January 1. I told my guys, as long as they stay awake, I'm happy. You know, New Year's Eve last night, they're here and it's great and all of us. And uh, so we're welcoming in a new year today. We're in the Word of God. What a place to start. Focusing on prayer. So time is our gift. He's given us a new year to come and seek his face. We'll do that together today. As uh, Mark mentioned, and John prayed, or John prayed especially that Mika is in a new residence in Allendale, Milton, and Han's still recovering from sickness and the infection that he had in the continuing care at Georgetown. So when I think of Mika, it was, it might be years and years ago, I gave her a list of about six or seven names of youth, senior high, junior high youth, and I said, Mika, if you can pray for these. We had a number of people praying for our young, young uh, teens at that time. And it was about five years later, this little sheep fell out in her Bible. She said, Terry, how are these kids doing? I'm still praying for them. And the sheet was tattered. It was old and worn out. And it had those names of those kids still on there. And uh, one of those gals, Rebecca, had had a child out of wedlock and was raising it on her own. And, and just to see those names and know that Mika was praying. And so those prayers, God's hearing and answering. And so when I think of Mika, I think of that. And she needs our prayers right now. And as we start prayer week, our, our hearts and minds are with Hans and Mika. Moving away from home to Allendale, it wasn't e- easy for Mika. But Mark and I were there on the first day. And uh, there was a little sing-song in the foyer, and Mika was out there. First time I'd seen Scott, uh, Hans and Mika's son, in a long time. So to pray together with the family, Sharon, Sylvia, Scott, and Mika, to sing some of the old songs together in the foyer with Mika on that first day. So I told Mika, because they were thinking of coming to church, I said, well, listen, one of our top preachers is going this Sunday. (laughs) She said, Mark, are you preaching? (laughs) So I know Mark's going to have a great year. Because that encouragement, I think, is going to stick with him the whole year. So as Mark announced today, it's the start of our week of prayer. We might think of the most important times today starting out in the Word of God. Wednesday night is our neighborhood prayer. Eva's done an amazing job. There's 10 host homes. We're all assigned to different homes. There's prayer leaders. We're going to go through Colossians 3, 1 to 17. All week is praying through the Word of God. And that is so exciting. So go and, and take a little address sheet there. There's something to take home to know where to get to your host home. And as Mark said, talk to me if you don't see your name there. And then next Sunday night, of course, our churchwide prayer night will finish off our week of prayer. Well, today we're going to turn, open up our Bibles to John 15. So if we do that together in your pew Bibles, it's page 901. We're going to be reading verses 1 16. So all scripture being God-breathed, given by inspiration, let's stand together and hear what the Lord says this morning. His voice is the one we want to hear, so let's, I'll read and we'll follow along. John 15, 1 to 16. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. 
As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the fathers love me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Let's be seated as we pray. Father, it's January 1st, and we can see your glory all about us, the glory of your abiding presence, especially in our hearts, especially in this place. Lord, as we have read, your glory is magnified through your church, through the believers, the disciples, as they bear much fruit. So encourage us, Lord, in this week of prayer that we might see more and more fruit to your glory and that we might readily come into your presence asking for all that is needed. In your name we pray. Amen. When we think about asking this morning, I think about Christmas, what we might ask for at Christmas. It's kind of a common thing. We have this uh, gift-giving time. I think, well, especially when kids are a little smaller. What was in my teenage years, my, my desire was for a snowmobile. All the local, uh, my cousins had one. They were flying all around, but we didn't. So I thought Dad and Mom probably would know. That's exactly what we'd need. So when uh, Christmas morning came, uh, Mom said, by the way, your gift's up in the spare bedroom. I thought, well, it's still possible. <laughs> you know, that, that door had been shut for weeks. I thought, well, there must be something. We went up there. Was it a skidoo? No. It was a pool table. And... Uh, it turned out to be a lot of fun. The room was very small, so the queues were about this long. You know, you can, kind of, it, it wasn't the easiest, but it was a good time of fellowship. And so mom and dad didn't have the means to buy a snowmobile. And they didn't have it in their heart to give us one. Who knows what might have happened. I nearly got decapitated once on a t- toboggan. Just the fence was very close to the bottom of the hill, and boom, and then duck, boom. So anyways, uh, yeah, when you're growing up, there's some close calls. But what, what should we be asking for, asking God for? Are we asking for the right things? Jesus boldly states in, in the passage we read, verse 7, Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And again in verse 16 we read, as he's appointed us to go, he said, So whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Doesn't that sound awesome? Ask and it will be given. It is great. 
Is it our experience? Are our requests and petitions answered as Jesus has described? Do we even have faith that asks, that comes before him and asking? He said, ask whatever you need, it'll be done for you. Well, let's look more closely at the rich metaphor of the vine. That metaphor is used much in the Old Testament, and it was for Israel. Often pointed to Israel's spiritual barrenness. Isaiah would write in chapter 5, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. He looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. He looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. So that Old Testament image of the vine, that points mostly to barrenness, now comes where Jesus says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. And then he tells us how we fit in. He says to his disciples, this being his final discourse before the cross, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. And he, he was telling them, here I am, and he who abides in me bears much fruit. So true disciples are those fruit-bearing branches, branches whose purpose it is to bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. He says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. I love this theme of discipleship in John 15. It's it's what God has placed on our hearts, isn't it? Every member a disciple maker. Go and make disciples. So this is the proof of discipleship the fruit-bearing branches, and the Father tends the vine. The essence of Christianity, then, the mark of a disciple, is fruit. So how is this possible? How is all this fruit multiplied in our lives? Jesus tells us, he said, it's by abiding. By abiding in Jesus Christ. And that illustration is so profound, isn't it? As a branch abides in the vine. The branches are connected, and to bear fruit, they need to, uh, to be connected to the vine and the root system. And Jesus says, that's how you need to abide in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So abiding in Jesus Christ, and how does that begin? It begins by believing. By believing the gospel, this abiding truth. In John 14, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So Peter was one of the, one of the disciples hearing these words of Jesus, and he would write in his letter that we were ransomed not with corruptible things, things that don't abide, like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. And then he goes on to say that we were born again, not from corruptible things, but incorruptible through the word of God. So Peter talks about believing, and it's something that abiding, and he says that word lives and abides forever. And he said, this word was preached to you through the gospel. So Peter talks about what belief is. It's being born again. It's receiving the truth, this incorruptible abiding word of God that brings us to the vine, and we're engrafted in that vine by faith. So abiding begins by believing in the word of God that also lives and abides forever. So there only is one way, one true gospel. He says there in verse 2, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. We might think of an apostate church that removes the the knowledge of sin and repentance, that removes the thought of the cross, the death, and the blood of Christ. What is left is barren and fruitless. Jesus says the branches are taken away, gathered, and burned, those that do not 
bear fruit. So a church that is leaving Christ, not abide, not sealed by the Holy Spirit. So belief is in the complete gospel, that truth that sets us free. And he also says we're to abide in his love. And how is that love evidenced? It's by our love for one another. Jesus kept his Father's commandments and abides in his love. And he says, you keep my commandments and abide in my love. All things that I've heard from, from my Father, he's made known to us. This love is in the context of such a beautiful relationship with Jesus Christ. All things that I've heard, it's a love, it's a commandment to love, and we abide in it. But he's revealed so much to us, so much about the Father. Even telling us that I'm the true vine and, and abide in me, and the Father's the vine dresser. And he was telling them on and off through John's gospel that he's going, he's going to be suffer, suffering and, and to give his life and raise the third day. And so this love is in, in the midst of revelation, to know God and to have that revealed. It's such a beautiful thing. And he says, I've called you friends. So Jesus has called us friends and reveals such knowledge to us and says, now abide in my love for you. And that is given evidence by loving one another as he has kept the Father's commands and loves the Father. First John, John would say in First John, beloved, if God so loved us as he has sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, we also ought to love one another. Jesus bore up the wrath of God out of love for us. And we also are to abide. Abiding in Christ means abiding in his word. How does the word abide in us? What's the easiest way? Read the Bible. Get the Bible out. Let it be the the center of our lives, the center of all that we do. Letting the word dwell in us. The Bible says it's a living and powerful word. Let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. What do we do here? Right now we're in the midst of Hebrews, expositional preaching, week by week. Take notes when you hear the sermons. When it's something you want to just deepen your roots into, uh, listen to it again online and go over the, that, that sermon. So expositional preaching is a huge way to let the Word of God abide in us. Adult teaching, children's teaching, God has gift, gifted our church with teachers that we might learn the Word of God. First Thessalonians are coming up to the book of Deuteronomy in the new year. And and these discipleship pathways are something very exciting about getting the Word of God engrafted and dwelling in us. One-on-one Bible reading. I've done it with a couple of men in our church. We sit down, and there's three things we look for. What's the the illumination of the passage, the, the pulse and the glory of the passage? What's a question mark, something we don't understand that we need to seek a little deeper about? And, and the other one would be an arrow. What's, how's God speaking right to, to me through this passage? And there's a lot of one-on-one Bible reading going on. That's a very significant discipleship pathway for us. So to let the Word of God. So prove you're my disciples. We need the Word of God. So core prayer groups, discipleship groups, you see the posters up about those things as well. And those are, are taking root more and more in our church family. And that's letting the Word of God abide. Also, we have in the foyer uh, reading plans for Scripture. Read through the Bible in a year. Read through the New Testament in a year. They're out there in the foyer, I think, where the Sunday school things are given out. And those plans are just great. This, I'm entering my fourth year. I know, George, you've done a lot of years, haven't you? How many have you done? Twelve? Just quote us a few lines, George. No, 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 I'm just kidding. But 12 years, and do you know the beauty of it? 
Disciples are doing what? We're maturing in Christ. We're being conformed to the image of Christ. When we read this Bible through every year, over and over, it's going to be new and fresh every time because we're not the same. We're abiding in the vine, and we're being formed and, and taught. We're deepening our roots in the gospel. We'll see the gospel more in the Old Testament. We'll see those prophecies of Christ coming up more and more. So I encourage you, five minutes a day for the New Testament, five days a week, and the, the full plan for the whole Bible is also something you might want to consider. So again, Jesus asks us, in the midst of all this abiding, abiding in his love and in his word, he said, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So I'm going to give a few observations that affect our asking right now. In your prayer guides, there's a place to take a few notes if you want to. We'll be praying on this Monday at noon in the boardroom. That's our first scripture to pray, John 15, 1 to 16. So just a few points I'd like to make. Number one, Jesus said, ask the Father. Paul puts it so beautifully in Galatians 4, 6. Think of abiding in the vine when you hear these words of Paul. God has sent the spirit of his son, the true vine, into our hearts that we might cry out, Abba, Father. So that image of the vine is so beautiful in that Galatians 4, 6. Because here's the vine, we're grafted in Christ and the Holy Spirit, as we abide, he's sealed us with the spirit. And that spirit into our hearts, compels us to cry out, Father. And Jesus says in this passage, ask the Father. Jesus did that himself in Gethsemane. Abba, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. So here's the true vine, the gospel vine. And he knows, he himself has cried out to the Father. And he tells us, ask the Father. Ask the Father whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Number two, ask in Jesus' name. Our prayer should be Christ-centered. He said, whatever you ask the Father, in my name. He's our mediator. He's our high priest. He's the one who will never, ever leave us. This abiding vine, the one who has shown us the way, the way to God. He's brought us to God. So we pray in Christ's name. Ask the Father. What does the Father do? He's tending the vine. I still, sometimes we think of the Father so so much there, Jesus has come to earth, the incarnation at Christmas, but we're the branches. What's the Father doing? He's tending the vine. And when we pray, our Father, it's such a beautiful picture of him tending us and so near to us and molding the church and shaping us. And we pray, our Father, and then we ask him for things in the name of his Son, whom he sent, which opened the door to heaven by the blood of Christ. He's opened the way to the throne of grace. The Bible says, of Jesus, to him, and through him are all things. So our prayer should go through Jesus Christ, the beloved Son of God, the mediator to God. So ask the Father, and ask him in Jesus' name. And ask according to his word. That's a huge if in this passage. If my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. The word of God aligns our thoughts with God's thoughts. The word written by men as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. This is God's inspired word. And the Holy Spirit guides us into truth as we read. So through our personal reading, through the discipleship initiatives that our church has, we have the joy of asking according to the will of God, this eternal word of God. That is the pattern. If you open up your bulletin, it says we sing God's word, and then it says we pray God's word. 
Our elders have been challenged. James has made it a compulsory reading, D.A. Carson, the formation of our, of our Christian life. And it's, it looks at Paul's prayers and how they reflect God's own will and God's own purposes. So when our elders pray on a Sunday morning, uh, John was praying in Psalm 103 today, that we're praying God's word. So we prepare and ask God to speak to us, and we bring prayers together Sunday morning as elders. So in our asking, we should ask for much fruit. It's that fruit that brings glory to God. It's the purpose of the pruning. The Father prunes his church so that it might bear more and more fruit. Our prayers should be marked, marked by it. Our prayers that are integral to the activity of the vine. So in this fruit bearing, when I say ask for fruit, it means asking for what God has designed the, the, the metaphor for, the vine, the true vine, the branches, and all this fruit to God's glory. So we should be asking in light of God's will, which is to bear much fruit, which brings him glory and proves that we're his disciples. So this, this fruit-bearing journey that we're on, we need to be asking for that. Love being the ultimate fruit. The branches are unified in love. Again, if we think of the metaphor of the vine, we're abiding in the love of Christ, but we're also loving one another. We're asking, asking for much fruit. Gospel-centered love, meekness, compassion. Greater love is no one than this, we read this morning, than to lay down one's life for his friends. So we have accountability in our spiritual walk, and we're encouraged to pray. And as the church matures and grows, there's a constant attack. I don't know if you find sometimes prayer hard. Sometimes, like Barb and I, we pray together in the mornings. Sometimes for a season we feel we're just not where we should be in that. So just in our love for one another as we come, this whole idea of being in the vine is we, we care for one another. I emailed the pastors a few weeks back. I just kind of felt we were just under a season of attack. If God's church is growing and there's fruit being born and evangelism going out, we are going to be opposed. So that prayer for one another. And, and I confess that this morning, that my prayer life isn't what it should be. I'm not asking as, with as much faith as I should. So as we ask for much fruit and we do it together, I'm asking God to re- rekindle my prayer life. And this prayer week, what a way to start this year. The 2017 might be a year that begins with prayer and prayer gathers momentum. We seek his face. Jesus said, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. And of course, this fruit is also gospel fruit, the fruit of new converts. And that's in verse 16 of John 15, where it says, I should, I've chosen you that you might go and bear fruit. It's great to hear the, the laid laws going to India. It's kind of being sent out, and they're going to be working with people there, but they're going to take the gospel, and we're going and going, and, and the gospel fruit of new converts. So we need to ask God for wisdom, that we might have words to speak. We ask for an open door for the word, as Paul would do, and, and ask God to use us according to his good pleasure. So the vine is expanding, and the fruit is expanding in our lives, that fruit of love and meekness and compassion, but also we're inviting others into this, this vine to fi- find their life in Christ. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. 
Max Stiles was here not too long ago for our missions weekend. He wrote a book, The Mark of the Messenger, and I wrote this comment down. He said, sometimes we can have what you call it pragmatic evangelism, which, which says, well, if we do this, and this is kind of where the people at Georgetown are at, and if we have maybe this group come and sing, and we do a few things like that, and, and we'll, we'll give a, an invitation after we preach, give them, tell them how much God loves them, and, and we think we'll get some response, and our church might grow if we do that. So he being just a gospel-centered, prayerful man, he kind of warns us of, he called it pragmatic evangelism. So he writes here of the importance of prayer. He says, when we understand that it is God's work in people's lives, the complete conversion is of God, it's his work, we avoid the mistake of working hard on performance at the expense of prayer. So we prayed this morning for Jeremy and Suzanne. We pray for Max Stiles. We pray as we go out in our individual lives. You know, we pray on our monthly prayer night. May they hear and believe the gospel as we go out and, and interact with people on the, with the power of this gospel. Well, that's the important thing. We need to keep praying. Because that, that is, ask whatever you wish, Lord, ask that this vine might grow, that there be conversions in India, that there be conversions in Iraq. That's where Max Stiles is going. So Jesus, it's no coincidence that he appoints us to go, but he appoints us also to pray. The prayer theme through John 14, 15, and 16, if you read it, is through the whole unique group of chapters in this discourse. Some of our young people were just at the cross conference, which is, uh, was on missions. A few of them are here today. They were there this past week. And uh, we listened to, I know some of you CNCs went to Mark's home and listened to one of the speakers and Matt put it on for us at home, and this Afshin Ziafat, an Iranian-born man, or an Iranian pastor, he was raised in Texas, was called away to the Lord. His father was, was influential, the head of a Muslim association, and, and prominent in the Muslim community. And this man was uh, tutored by a woman who he says loved him. And... and she said, of all the things they read and did, he said, she said, I'm going to leave you with the most important book you'll ever have. She gave him a New Testament. And through that New Testament, he came a time in his life where he was really at wit's end and panic attacks and things, and he opened up that New Testament, and he became a believer. And his story, he's, he, he was, still was thinking about being a doctor, but in, he end, end up, the Lord would not let him go. So he's a pastor preaching all over the world now. And one of his stories was a couple of Iranian girls that became Christians and they had delivered 20,000 New Testaments into Iran. So the word of God in this gospel going into Iran, and then at some point they were arrested, and they were in jail for 259 days. And he said the, the beauty of that was, sometimes it feels, well, Lord, is this what is meant, being believers and taking the word of God up, and now they're in, in prison? But while they were jailed, the government put out in a big newspaper ad, the picture of the New Testament that they were handing out and said, do not read this book. <laughs> so in, in the going, in, in, in this Iranian pastor, giving his life to the Lord and going and bearing fruit, it's just a beautiful, we're going, we're abiding, there's prayer, there's mission. It's in this John 15 passage. God is glorified in the fruit of new converts, in the testing of our faith by pruning and persecution. Number six, if you see that I was numbering them. Ask for understanding as the Father prunes us. 
In our abiding in Jesus and the gospel, we recognize the road of suffering. I just mentioned those two girls. And it was uh, Afshin's father would never open the door back to that relationship. So that as the father prunes in whatever way it might be, and I think of the difficult times we've gone through in this past year. Some of us are in right now. We talk about Hans and Mika. The Lord's pruning. He's shaping as we're abiding. And sometimes we can't make sense of it all, but we're asking, and I ask, that's why I say here, give us understanding, Lord, in how you're pruning. Help us to understand the magnitude of our sin and pride. The Bible, this chapter says, love is expressed in laying down our life. What does it mean, Lord? What are you asking me to lay down? Do we ask and invite the Father to use us according to his will, prune away the flesh and sin, worldly affections, that might stimulate a deeper love for him and his glory. There are a lot of worldly affections, aren't there? Things that draw us and things that seem like they're great. The Lord says, you know, lay them all down. He who loses his life for my sake will save it. And Afshin gave a great talk. You want to, the cross conference, if you get it on the internet, stream it in. It's spectacular. And he was just going through Bibles like that about taking up your cross, laying down your life. Whatever persecution, whatever it comes, God is the work. God is pruning and it's all for his glory. We're going to sing a song in a few minutes, our closing song. It's written by John Newton. And it's about, I'm asking, the, I, I ask the Lord that I might grow. And it's about the pruning. It's about the, the despair sometimes in that pruning. And how God takes us to, in places and ways that we would never dream of. But if it's in our asking, we recognize he's doing a good work. So I want you to prepare your hearts to hear something great. The man who wrote Amazing Grace, who lost his mother when he was 11, who was living a a life of sin on the slave ships back to the UK, found the Lord, wrote Amazing Grace, and he wrote this hymn about, I asked the Lord, and no words that I could say could help us understand the pruning of God. Number seven, ask for the sake of others. I want you to look around this morning and look at the branches we're together with. We know we're to love one another, and in the gospel spirit, which is to lay down your life for your friends, which Christ laid down his life for us, our prayers should be marked by prayers for others. One of the beautiful experiences we've had this year, parents in prayer, parents of our CNCH kids, we meet together and we, we pray for each other's families, their adult children, and that has been so exhilarating for us. We kind of leave the prayers for our own messed up kids behind, and we're praying for other people's. And, uh, but it's just exciting to get to know each other's families and to pray for others. So ask for fruit in others' lives. This is the vine, and we're in love for one another. The Father's pruning us. And have this love-inspired prayer. Come along aside each other and learn how to support each other in prayer. A question we could ask is, what are you asking for? Like I could say, uh, Dave, what are you asking for? Can I pray for that with you? I'm going through a tough time in my life. I'm asking God for understanding what's happening. Well, let's pray for that. I feel just pride taking root in me. I'm going to ask. Mark says, Terry, I'm, I feel pride. Can you ask with me? I'm asking the Lord to remove my pride and establish love. So all through this Bible, my sermon title is, I'm Ask the Lord. We need to be asking. We need to come along aside, alongside each other in that asking. Just a couple more Imitate others in their asking. Word-centered prayer is modeled by mature believers. So Jesus has given us a framework of prayer. He's given us his word. 
we come together in corporate prayer, lots of times in our monthly prayer time in our different groups, learning how to pray this pattern of John 15, abiding in the vine, it's the vine, the living word of God, the word made flesh, the word that comes true. He says, and my word start to abide in you. He is the word of God himself. And his words and his love starts to flow through us and our prayers become more word-centered, more gospel-centered, more Christ-centered. I'm, I think God's given us an understanding to, of, to, to identify word-centered prayer. Sometimes we break into small groups on a Sunday night or we'll be at an elders' meeting. Maybe four or five elders will pray, but all of a sudden somebody will say something that just feels like all of a sudden that's from God. That was directly from his word. And as if time stops for just a second, and we're given a glimpse of eternity in God's own will, that his word inspiring us to pray. And I'm so thankful for our, the mentoring of prayer warriors in this church and people who know and love the word of God. And it's great. We don't have to utter these prayers. We're uttering them corporately. And when we hear it, sometimes it's okay to say, yes, we just heard that. Amen to that, brother, sister. Because we recognize it's from God's word. So our prayers, the spirit and the word, resonating together, and we say amen to that. Disciples should be learners, so I'm encouraging us to learn how to pray, even as the elders pray Sunday morning, as James leads in prayer, and Mark and the, the pastors and, and each other. So let's come together humbly and learn to pray by abiding in the vine and in his word. I want to take us to one example. Apostle Paul, the road to Damascus, persecuting Christians from an antagonistic life, and now here he's come now to be an apostle and sent out. So he spent three years in Arabia. He spent 15 days with Peter, and then he was in Antioch for a while, a man of the word. And in Philippians 1, I'd love you to turn to it just for, for one second here. Philippians 1, chapter 1. And I want us to think of the vine as we read this two-verse prayer, three-verse prayer of Paul. Philippians 1, verses 9 to 11. This, this word-centered prayer that Paul gives. Verse 9, and it is my prayer, I want you to think of John 15, loving one another, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, the pruning of the vine, to approve what is excellent, and, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And here's the fruit, filled with the fruit of righteousness. And how do we get that? By abiding in the, in the vine that comes through Jesus Christ. And what does that fruit do? By this my Father is glorified to the glory and praise of God. So that's another, where Paul is mentoring us to pray. That's why we go into that D.A. Carson book, to understand, to look in at Paul's prayers. And are, are they not vine-centered, Christ-centered, gospel-centered prayer? That love might abound, and it comes through Jesus Christ, fruit of righteousness to the glory and praise of God. And that's my last point. The goal of our praying, the goal of our asking, is to the glory of God. His glory fills the temple. By this my Father's glorified, verse 8, that you bear much fruit. And in the light of that being glorified, it says we need to be asking. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And by this, by the asking, by the abiding, 
by the spirit of love in us, and by all the fruit that is multiplied in our midst, as God prunes us, we pray to the glory of God. Thank you, George, for ending most of your prayers with that, reminding us it's to God's glory. And I meant to mention earlier, I was going to thank Betty Reed as I visited her one time. We were talking about God's pruning and the difficulties of life. She says, well, I pray, and if God doesn't answer it, like I think, he's got something better. So I just thought, just we do encourage one another. And I thank the Lord for Betty's comment. And again, as we mentor each other together, as we pray, as we love, as we abide together. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're coming to this communion service. And after communion, we're going to sing a song written by John Newton, who was rebellious and so apart from you, but came to a point where he'd say, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saves a wretch like me. And in the spirit of John 15, he wrote a hymn, I asked the Lord. So Lord, continue to minister to our hearts and encourage us in our asking through that closing hymn and through this, this communion service where the vine, the true vine, the cross, and this gospel were abiding in its truth and its reality and its love and in its power. In our going, where would we go? Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. In our going, Lord, let us go with the gospel. Let us go 